say in space, no one can hear you scream. What we also learned is that in Space City, the Guardians can't win games. Mm-mm-mm. Not many, at least. Not many. Uh, this is Guarding the Corner. Uh, I am James Mastrucci. That was Brian Fraley. And before we get into this, real quick, uh, subscribe, like, rate five stars this podcast. It is available on just about every platform that you can think of, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and this is BelieveOne.com. Yeah, if you can't find us, then we can't help you because we're everywhere. We are everywhere, and you know what? It's it's time for you to to do your part. Like, yeah, rate five, rate five stars, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Do all of the things. And real quick, before we jump into this this series, uh, you mentioned Space City. I love the Houston Astros Space City, uh, the City Edition uniforms. I thought those were nice. Those were fantastic. Uh, th- yeah. Those were some of the best ones. Uh, th- those ones are good. Kansas City's are really good. Yeah. Um, I do love... we know what the Guardians are doing yet? Do we, or is it I, still kind of behind closed doors? I don't think they have one this year. Oh, that's so, a disappointment. That's really disappointing. Uh, I, I know a lot of people didn't care for Boston's, but I liked Boston's because it was just the, the alternate color scheme for the Boston Marathon. I thought those were cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. It, it's like, a, if, especially for the like local fans, and that's who they're really for mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, I like when they do that, incorporate something else in the city. Um, and I love that they did that for Houston, incorporating the NASA theme. And they used the same worm font that the NASA used to use, like back then when, uh, like the Apollo missions were going on. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really nice touch too. So, like, if you're a space nerd, as soon as you see that Space City font, you're like, oh, that's the NASA font. So, I mean, yeah, it was cool. it was really cool. It's got that that retro feel of what they thought the future was going to look like, and it was just it was so good. Yeah, very, very good. They nailed it with that one. Yeah, so, anyways, Space City, Houston, not too kind to the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, it started off well. It started off it well. It did. Let's, it let's did. start there. Uh, yeah, let's start there, because this was actually one of my favorite games of the year so far. I, I'm really, uh, I mean, we have a lot of good things to say about this one. I'm sure you do, too. Uh, I do, too. Uh, I definitely do. Uh, Tristan McKenzie looked good. Uh, the offense actually, you know, scored Jose Drove in four runs in this game. Yeah, and uh, Luke Maley went perfect at the plate. Uh, three for three and also had a walk on the day. So I will be referring to this uh, for the rest of the season as the Luke Maley game. And why wouldn't you? I mean, he scored three times too. Yeah, he, he had a phenomenal game. Yeah, he scored uh, three of their six runs. The other two were scored by Miles Straw, and uh, Jose Ramirez scored one on his home run. But Luke yeah. Maley... Uh, showed some signs of life behind the plate, at the plate, which was a nice change of pace from the usual Austin Hedges. Yeah, Austin Hedges has been a, he's the black hole in the lineup. Like, you you know what's coming when you get to Austin Hedges, and it's pretty much an automatic out. He's essentially a pitcher uh, hitting still in a game that doesn't even do that anymore. Um, So, yeah, to get any production there at all is an improvement. And then to get that level of production, I mean, he, he... he had a huge impact on this game. Um, so, yeah, that was really, really good to see because um, I'm hoping that we could start using him more uh, moving forward uh, because I think that the Austin Hedges experiment is about coming to an end in Cleveland. Uh, I, I do think it is coming to an end as well. Uh, would love to see them get in on uh, Sean Murphy. Uh, yeah. I know, I know uh, Guardians Twitter has been trying to manifest that trade to happen for some time now. Uh, yeah. 
It, it has been a trend in the major leagues, though. We're not the only team with a catcher that just is not hitting. There are so many catchers across the league right now that are under the Mendoza line. Um, and it's just an interesting state of play for the game right now. Like you, they, It's just not a position that has any offensive production whatsoever right now. Yeah, and, and for those who play fantasy baseball, uh, they're very much aware of how much the catcher position sucks uh, yeah. outside of, like, two guys. <laughs> yeah, outside of two guys. I mean, you've got the Salvador Perez, who's just a freak. But, you know, other than that, like, it's a lot of guys that are struggling. And I think that's why we've rode with Austin for so long, because, like, yeah, there aren't many other better options out there, you know. So um, it's good to see Maley produce in the, the few, you know, the few short – times that we've seen him play this season he's done well you know his average is up to 333 on the year uh slugging 524 which is just a massive improvement from what we're used to there um so yeah really like what i saw from him yeah uh, conversely austin hedges is at 161 228 289 269 slash line i'm sorry yeah that's awful that's absolutely dreadful that's that's uh, the fact that that keeps just getting like Let's run it back every single game. It's, it's very frustrating. It is very frustrating. And, and you mentioned earlier, like, Tristan McKenzie was lights out this game. He's mm-hmm. been really, really good for us. Um, that was his fourth consecutive quality start. Um, and during those uh, that span, he has a 2.07 ERA with 20 strikeouts. Uh, so he's been lights out. Um, it, it just did a really nice job of using his fastball early. And, you know, mixing in some of his off-speed stuff later in the count just to keep people off balance. Um, and he also had some good things to say about Luke Maley after the game, too. So he seemed really comfortable with uh, Maley behind the plate. Um, and it, it definitely showed this game because he went, you know, seven innings, only one earned run, and uh, just the one walk. So he had a really, really nice outing. Yeah, and uh, conversely, uh, Luis Garcia, who only pitched five innings, thank you. God, but this game still ended at like 1140-something. I know, it went very long. (laughs) This game lasted such a long time, uh, I I can't... You did warn everybody going into this one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm like, this game's going to take long because Luis Garcia takes forever to pitch. He's got, and you saw it, uh, that very just elaborate wind-up. Yeah, it's really tricky, elaborate... But whatever you want to call it, it's extensive. It takes forever. Um, and I, I think it's part of what makes him effective is that he just gets guys so uncomfortable in the box. Um, but, yeah, I, I was grateful to see him leave after five innings just because it's, it's really painful as a, a fan of an opposing team watching him work just because it's like you, you feel frustrated for the guys in the box. Yeah, and you can tell that they're just like, come on already, just get the pitch over with. Like, uh you remember, uh, uh, who was it? it was Daisuke Matsuzaka used to take forever, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, I want to say uh, Chien Ming Wang also took forever as well. Yeah, real long deliveries. Uh, a lot of those early, like the the Asian pitchers that came over during that time had like really long, elaborate deliveries, and uh, he's definitely got one of those himself. It's just weird to see because he's like, he's such a big dude, too. You know what I mean? Like he's such a physically imposing guy. And he just moves funny. Like, he, he just moves, like, really mechanical almost. Mechanical is a, is a good way to good way to put it. Yeah, and not in the traditional sense. Like, he has great mechanics, but, like, mechanical in the fact he looks kind of robotic. <laughs> it, 
it's just like it's it's not herky jerky, but it's like it's like very robot esque moves. That's yeah. It's and it just takes forever. And I'll tell you, as someone who plays um, uh, MLB the Show, mm-hmm. it's incredibly frustrating to sit there through his very elaborate pitching windup because you have to sit Did there and wait for him to pitch. That's the thing with these damn games, man. They keep getting more and more realistic, and, and they're even getting realistic in the ways that annoy us in the real game, uh, <laughs> which is just funny to me. But, yeah, that, it, that's good to know that they've uh, put that much thought and time into each player. To have Luis Garcia also be painful to uh, play against on the game is hilarious. It's just That happens all the time. To be a pitcher, it just takes forever in the video game. And Luis Garcia is one of them, but like it's like, come yeah. on. Can we just get this over already? Like, you got just sitting there, we're waiting. Like, jeez. Uh, uh, Jose Valverde was terrible about that, too, uh, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, I mean, baseball's a slow enough game, you know? It's it's slow enough as it is to, to have a guy on the mound who takes probably 50 to 75% more time to deliver a pitch <laughs> than the average guy. It, it's It's just... Yeah, frustrating is the the only word I can really think of for it. It's it's just not fun to watch. I'll put it that way. No, it's not. But it was very good to see him get out of the game. They still managed to add another run uh, against Abreu after he left. But uh, interesting thing about this game, only three of the runs that the Guardians scored were earned. The other three were unearned runs because of uh, errors on the Astros' part. That's right. Uh, Maley scored on the throwing error by Garcia, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he scored on the throwing error. Um, and then Jose was Jose and did his usual thing. Um, but, yeah, a couple of those runs aren't earned. I'm, I'm looking at Garcia now. They only gave him two earned runs. Uh, and we scored da-da-da-da-da. How many runs did we score against him? Four. Four, yeah, four. Yeah, yeah so uh, half of his runs were unearned. and. Here we go again with the pitcher being the one that does the error and doesn't get charged with the earn run. Mm-hmm. Like, we ju- we just talked about this, and here it is happening again. Yeah, so, like, these these should be all four earned runs. Like I, I think this is a discussion that needs to be had, seriously. If a pitcher because, commits an error... you got to field your position. It's part of the game. It's always been part of the game. Like it, it, There's a reason they give a gold glove to a pitcher. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, they wouldn't give one away to a pitcher if it wasn't meaningful. Like, you have to be able to play your position, especially at the big league level. Um, and it, it's just crucial, and, you know, you just don't see it. So You, you don't. You, you really don't. And uh, that's just it's, – it's frustrating to watch as, as someone who is a fan of baseball. Not too frustrating when it happens against your team. No, no. When it happens, it's it's totally different then. So, you know, not too mad about it. Uh, Old friend uh, Phil Maton pitched in this game as well. He did. Old friend Phil Maton. He pitched very well. 12 strikes on 14 pitches and threw a perfect inning. Yeah. You know, so uh, kudos to Phil Maton. Shout out. Uh, Any other takeaways you have from the uh, first game of the series here? Uh, just uh, that Tristan McKenzie looks like the ace of the staff right now. Um, uh, he's just really, really good. And to think that he's only 24 years old and he's still 
Like, I, I feel like his, we haven't seen him reach his ceiling yet. And as a, a, a diehard Guardians fan, like, that's really, really exciting to me. Um, and then, again, just Luke Maley having a good game and just showing us that, like, hey, there are other options out there. Like, we can make other things work uh, at the catcher position. Because I, I really do think it's about time that we move forward there. And, and that, that's my biggest takeaway is, like, this really shined a light on how, how much having production from the catcher position can affect the game because, you know, he, he got on base and he scored a run. Like that's more than we've been seeing from that position. And, you know, it was enough to win the game. So. So very, very impressive. <laughs> and uh class a too, you know, came in and, and shut the door in a non-safe situation, which was good to see too. Um, so we keep seeing him come in in these situations that we don't like and performing well. So that's another really positive takeaway from this game. It, it is. And it, it's, it, it's good to have some, I guess, some positive takeaways from this game. Um, even though there's, there's one, I guess, negative takeaway I'm going to, I'm going to bring up before we move on to the next game. Uh, because the next two games were so frustrating, but, yeah. uh, one for 12 runners in scoring position. Not the best. Not the best at all. Um, yeah, so we could have done a lot more damage than we did. Um, and that's kind of been one of the strengths of this team is, like, getting uh, runs late in games, uh, getting runs with two outs, getting got runs with guys on base. Like, those are the things as a young team that doesn't have as potent of a lineup that you need to do well. Uh, and one for 12 is just not good enough. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I mean, it's it's not. And that's that's a problem, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a pathetic under 100 average uh, with guys in scoring position. So, yeah, that needs to change. <clears throat> he, it does need to change. It, it's it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And it's a good segue to the next game. Uh, frustrating. Uh, Zach Plesak, frustrating. <laughs> yeah, frustrating. Very good word for uh, his performance as well. Um Seven earned runs is what I have him for, and four and two-thirds inning pitched, uh, and he had the walk. Um, just not a good day for Plesak at all, um, and Houston took advantage of it. They, they did. I mean, Plesak looked really bad. Seven earned runs, nine hits, 4.2 innings, five strikeouts, mm-hmm. 90 pitches, and you couldn't even get through five innings. Yeah, and not only that too, but like, it, look at the position he got to enter the game in. Like, we had a one nothing lead for you know to start the game for him. Uh, Jose did what Jose does and hit a home run in the first inning. Uh, so he he comes into the game with a one nothing lead, and I'm thinking, okay, for a guy like Plesac, that's going to be huge. You know, give him a little bit of insurance, maybe you know take some of the edge off. Uh, but it did not. It did not take long at all. Uh, by the third inning, Houston really got to him. Um, and that's when we had the Bregman double to the left where Maldonado and Altuve both scored. Um, and, yeah, from there, it just progressively got uh, worse, I would say. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it because it, it was just – it didn't feel like uh, there was – uh, a moment that Plesak was going to be able to get out of it at all. Um, no, ne- never. Uh, those situations that pitchers get themselves in in games every start, 
um, you you expect him to get through at least some of those, and it it seemed like every time he was in a position like that, like he just he couldn't escape it, um, and that's that's discouraging uh, because he has not been all the, he, he just hasn't been good this year. Like he he really hasn't, and he has a 5.4 ERA. Like those are things that we need him to do well, and uh, he he did not this game. Uh, to be just completely honest, perfectly blunt, just not filtered here at all. He's been dog shit, okay? Like, yeah, it really has been really, really bad. Nine hits, seven runs, and four and two-thirds innings of work. And, and, like, the loss in this game, I wouldn't say is entirely on him, but a lot of it is on him. I mean, he did allow the seven runs, but it's, it's not like uh, this offense did a whole lot in between the, you know, first and sixth inning. Because by no. the time they scored again, they were down seven to one before they scored again. They only scored two more runs, so it's it, it's not like they were out there slugging and they lost seven to six or you know ten to nine. They lost right. seven to three, and like those two runs were like of the variety of who gives a shit. Uh, yeah, pretty much garbage runs and garbage time by then. Um, we knew Houston had the game wrapped up already. Uh, so yeah, that's not what you want to see. And and like I said. Jose Homers in the top of the first inning uh, sets sets the tone, and it felt like this was going to be a game that maybe we would be offensively productive again, uh, and there just wasn't much of anything from that point until the sixth inning when they scored again when it didn't even matter. So, I mean, it felt like when Jose homered after the, the 12 pitch at bat, 12 pitches, then he homers, by the way. Incredible. Incredible at bat. The best at bat we've seen this season for a Guardian, in my opinion. I mean, it's. I don't even think that's even controversial at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to go twelve pitches and then just hit an absolute bomb, it's so hard to do. Like that, just go outside and take twelve of your hardest swings that you can with a baseball bat. Like it's tiresome, and, and to to get to that point and then hit a bomb, it's just like, my goodness, you don't see that very often. You see, you see guys in the league that are scrappy and have good good approaches at the plate, go mm-hmm. ten, twelve pitches, but. You know, where you see him take a walk or get a scrappy hit or, you know, find a gap somewhere. But, like, he just murdered a ball, and it was, it was just awesome. So, yeah, I thought that that was a tone setter. I thought that that was going to set uh, the pace for the offense. But, unfortunately, um, much like the story has been for several other games this year, Jose was the only one who uh, showed up for the offense on this day. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the 12-pitch at-bat here, um, and... The variety of pitches that Jose went through, okay, just to get to the home run, he saw, let's see, six sinkers, three curveballs, a changeup, a fastball, and a cutter. My goodness. And one at bat. And one at bat. Yeah. He, so he, he clobbered a hanging sinker for the home run. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing to see. Um, it had to have been frustrating for the pitcher as well um, because he really was battling. Um, and then that sinker just, he, he left it left it over the plate, and Jose does what you expect him to do. Anytime you leave a, a breaking pitch over the plate to Jose, like you're expecting him to murder it, and that's what he did. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was just a an absolute bullet into the Crawford yeah. boxes. So Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see him. Um, being productive again, uh, he's maintaining that lead uh, with RBIs on the majors. Um, so that's good to see that he's continuing to knock in runs, uh, even in games where nobody else really seemed to uh, show up. 
uh, he's still being productive. So uh, that's what you want to see from your MVP, your team. So mm-hmm. yeah, Ernie Clement had a nice day in this game. He went two for four. I, he always seems to do that on days when the offense shits the bed. You know what I mean? It's like I wish that he could be a part of the hit parade on one of these days when we do well. Um, but yeah, he he had a good game. You know, unfortunately, it's just that a lot of his at bats were insignificant because the game was just out of reach already. So it, it really was, and that's just that's really a shame, honestly. Um, yeah, but. Uh, any positives for you here? Because uh, mine is anyone named Zach Plesak didn't allow a base runner or a hit or a run. Uh, yeah, that, definitely. Uh, the bullpen looked really good this game. Um, I thought that all three guys who came in after Plesak uh, did the job and at least kept, you know kept the game within reach. Uh, you know, seven runs isn't insurmountable. You know, we've seen earlier in the year that we've had some really big comebacks. Um, so to see those guys come in and still pitch hard and um, try to at least salvage something out of this game was good to see. Um, uh, De Los Santos, I think that was his best performance so far as a guardian. Uh, but again, you know, he came in in a situation where there wasn't much pressure on him. So, um, yeah, a, it's a positive, but that's about the only ones that I come away with from this one. They, they managed to hold the deficit. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the way I'll look at it. They yeah, held the yeah. deficit. Yeah, and that's that's what the bullpen's job is usually is to just to hold the deficit and you know set your closer up to come in and slam the door. But in this case, we were you know playing from behind the whole time. So. Yep. And. Uh, Happy to put this one behind us. Yeah, and, and speaking of playing from behind, uh, they played from behind for pretty much the entire game last night. Uh, yeah, after that run in the fifth that Houston scored, uh, we, half of the game was played from behind. Um, and yeah, just, uh, what can you say? Another, another dud of a performance from the offense on this one. Um, a lot better pitching performance in this game, but you know, still not the best pitching performance, but nonetheless, you know, six innings pitched and only two earned runs. Cal Quantrill did his job. He did. Um, he, he did have the four walks, and, you know, you don't want to see that many walks, but he he did what a guy that's, you know, a bottom of the order of the rotation guy, you know, is expected to do. Mm-hmm. Just uh, give the offense a chance to win the game, and he definitely did that. But unfortunately, in his six innings pitched, he had no run support. So all uh, the only offense we got came after he was already out of the game. Um, so yeah, really disappointing for Cal to have such a nice outing mm-hmm. and to not be able to get the win because with him, you know, those are the games that you have to win. Uh, cause he's, he's not Shane Beaver. He's not Tristan McKenzie, you know, mm-hmm. uh, while he does look really good right now. Um, I, I just don't think he's that caliber of a player. He doesn't have as high of a ceiling. So, and you know what, that's, that's more than fair, honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's a more than fair analysis, but like we, we look at this, and this it just sucks to to waste this type of performance from Quantrill to to relatively keep the Astros in check for six innings, you know, especially compared with uh, Plesac's abomination the night before. Uh, yeah, and, and then and he the, does this, right? And then the other thing we just said about Plesac was that like it, he he couldn't get out of any of his jams. Quantrill got himself into some jams. Like we said, he had the trouble uh, locating some pitches for a while, and he walked four guys. But, like, he would get out of those situations. Like, he, he kind of looked like a magician out there. 
so that was encouraging. You know, the, the situations that we saw Plesak struggle in, uh, Quantrill proved that, you know, he could step up and handle those. Um, so, yeah, really good performance from him. You're going against one of the best teams in the American League uh, with a position to, you know, in a position to win the series. Uh, so, yeah, Cal Quantrill did everything you could possibly ask of him. Mm -hmm. um, it was really disappointing that we couldn't get the win because it would have been a really big uh, series win for the Guardians to, to come away with two against Houston. Yeah, uh, especially, you know, they went up against uh, Christian Javier last night, and that dude just shut down the Guardians from start to finish. Yeah, uh, he's got some filthy stuff. Yeah, nine strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings. Uh, yeah, he started the game with, what, six Ks in the first two innings? Something uh, is, ridiculous like that. Yeah, it was, it, it, we were not even close to touching this guy. Yeah. Um, he looked really, really good on the night. That that slider that he has, like, it's just unfair. Um, so, yeah, in a game where the bats really, really struggled, um, the pitching did their job to at least keep us in it. But um, at the end of the day, not enough. And unfortunately, that's kind of been the storyline for the Guardians in some of these big games that we've had is that, you know, the the pitching keeps them in it, but the offense just doesn't have enough firepower uh, to beat some of the better teams in the league. Yeah, uh, and that's that's been an issue against against teams like the Astros, and even get against games uh, against the White Sox or Twins. But uh, right. uh, luckily, uh, they're about to go play a very uh, very favorable stretch of games with their next uh, almost it's about a month or so. Uh, Detroit, Kansas City, Baltimore, Texas, Oakland, and Colorado takes us to mid-June. That is an awesome, awesome stretch uh, for a team that, that that needs a reprieve because we've really been going through it. Like, we've been facing some really good teams. You mentioned Chicago and Minnesota, and, you know, we had the Yankees in town. Like, we've, we've faced some really good teams. To be able to have a little bit of a reprieve and go against some of the bottom feeders is going to be nice. Um, and if the Guardians are going to make any noise and, and try to hang in there in the division, this is a stretch of games that they really need to capitalize on. They really do. This is an opportunity in front of them to get back to 500, over 500, and hopefully create a sizable margin between wins and losses because they're not playing any good teams here. Uh, no, not at all. And. Uh, we also have a couple games in hand because we had the bad weather. So, like, we're still in really good position in the division, all things considered. Um, so, yeah, you, you would want to see a young team go out there and capitalize on opponents that, that they know that they can beat. Um, and that's what they're going to have an opportunity to do here. And um, I, I think that after a, a tough series like we just had against Houston, uh, to be able to go to Detroit, a um, little bit easier of a road trip, Um and uh, it's going to give us an opportunity to get hot here and hopefully get back above 500. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, one one thing uh, they won't have to worry about in their upcoming series that we're about to discuss is uh, the Tigers hitting home runs. Uh, <laughs> because uh, going into yesterday, <clears throat> this is uh, courtesy of at uh, World of Isaac on Twitter. Very entertaining Twitter follow, by the way. Cool, uh, I'm going to follow him right now. Uh, the uh, Tigers had 22 home runs coming into yesterday. Aaron Judge had 17. Uh, the Tigers have 114 runs on the year. The Dodgers have 227. Oh, my God. That was coming into Wednesday. 
I love that. And of all the teams, too, I love that it's happening to Detroit, a division rival. Um, yeah, it's it's good to see the Tigers struggle. I gotta say, I'm I'm not uh, too unhappy about that. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people pick them to uh, you know be the surprise team, uh, be the one that does a whole bunch of good stuff this season. You know, based off of they basically sucked the first month of the season last year, and then they played pretty good baseball the rest of the rest of the way. But um, what I think everyone's learning about the Tigers is that they're they're a flawed team. They're not a particularly good team. They don't have a lot of depth either and I, I think a lot of their success last season was based off of guys having like career years yeah it's not sustainable um the, the, like you mentioned they did after a terrible first month of the year they played some good baseball for the rest of the season but like you said man they, they've got guys on their team that had absolute like monster years and to expect them to be able to sustain that is very unrealistic um, and, and in my opinion, you know, they didn't do all that much in the offseason to get better. So, uh, you know, for the people who did think that they might have been a sexy pick to, you know, maybe be a 500 team or whatever, I, I just think that it was, uh, I, I don't know, paper tiger, if you will. Uh, <laughs> the, stati- the stats from last year, like, if you only look at the Tiger stats from last year, you'd go, okay, this team might make some noise this year. But if you look at their careers as a whole like Mm -hmm. these aren't these aren't guys that are going to do that year in and year out no they're not like uh, eric haas isn't going to hit 22 home runs and drive in 60 while hitting 230 okay that's that's not that's what he did last year but that's not a sustainable thing especially with eric haas who's a, a 28 year old catcher who saw regular playing time for the first time i think last year or it might have been yeah. the year before too, but like, it, like, what do we like? It's not like something. I mean, we're familiar with Haas. He used to be in the in Cleveland system, but yeah. like, Akil Badu stinks right now. He's terrible. Okay. Yeah, uh, he he was one of those young players that came out and like had a really good start, and people were crazy about. But like, he's really, really came back down to earth. He he has. And, and Robbie Grossman's completely cratered. I was never a big Robbie Grossman guy to begin with, but mm. like. He's hitting 189 this year. Yeah. He always makes me think of uh, Rex Grossman from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Rex Quando. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, they, they, they're just not that good. You said depth, too. Like, that's mm-hmm. something – in a year where, like, we still see teams having issues with COVID, like, we – we did have a late start to the season. Like there has been some bad weather across the country. Like there, you know, a lot of things going on. You know that if that makes any sense, that mm-hmm. line of thoughts. But um, yeah, yeah, not not gonna do what they did last year. And their batting average as a team is down at two nineteen right now, uh, so barely above the Mendoza line. And I think that's about where they can expect to stay in that 220 range for the for the rest of the season. Really, I just don't see too much in Detroit to be hopeful for right now, um, especially with some of the guys on the IL and, and whatnot. Yeah, currently Austin Meadows, Akil Badu, Victor Reyes on the IL, uh, which means playing time for guys like Willie Castro and Derek Hill, and yep. uh, <clears throat> like I, I really think Spencer Spencer Torkelson is going to be a good player, but he is going through it right now. <laughs> yeah, he's having a really tough time, isn't he? He's striking out in about thirty percent of his at bats. 
Yeah, yeah, it's not good. 33%, whatever the third, you know, whatever, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, he's one of those guys that, like, this launch angle phenomenon and, like, the where it was, like, it's okay to strike out 200 times if you're going to hit 40 home runs or whatever. It's I think he's a guy that really bought into that, and he's he's suffering now, you know, because that that, that trend kind of has been broken. Uh, that didn't last as long as people may have thought it did, um, and he's still just caying so often. Like, it's just... It's not good. You you gotta hit diggers if you're gonna K like he's gang. Yeah, and and he's not. He is is he has four home runs, but like you expect more out of a guy who's got a thirty three percent K rate or just about. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> like, let me ask you this: of their regular players, do you happen to know who leads their team in OPS off the top of your head? Is it Miguel Cabrera? It's Mel- Miguel Cabrera with a seven twenty eight OPS. Oh my. That's hilarious. That's that's he's that's, so old. It's bad. That's what yeah, that is. He, he uh, is, it, it, it's bad when a guy his age is still like your most dominant player. <laughs> M- Miggy is 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 thirty nine. Thirty nine years old. He's two hundred fifty pounds, and he's still the most dominant physical specimen on that team. Yeah. Uh, conversely, the regular players uh, for the Guardians leading uh, in OPS. Uh, surprise, surprise! It's Jose Ramirez with a one point oh one five OPS. Good God, he's such a freak. <laughs> but if we're going to remove Jose from the equation, the next one is Owen Miller at eight hundred. Yeah, that makes and then, sense. Then Josh Naylor, uh, he is not a regular player on this list yet due to uh, games played, appearances, whatever their sorting list is. But he's at nine twenty six. Yeah, and he's cooled off. He he uh, had that couple games stretched where he was the incredible bulk and throwing helmets and winning ball games on his own and just absolutely electric. But uh, he had a little bit of an off night and he's cooled off considerably. It, he has, and uh, hopefully he, was he gets back on three. Yeah, he was over three in that two to one loss. Um, he did have the one base on balls, I believe. So he still did get on base in that game, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no production from him. Uh, Owen Miller also, he was a guy that was, I mean, as hot as you could get. Um, he's cooled off considerably as well. So hopefully one or both of those guys, uh, can get hot and, and start to produce, mm-hmm. um, outside of just Jose, you know, cause Jose, we can't rely on Jose to hit three or four RBIs every game. It's just not realistic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's probably the only guy that's capable of it, but to expect it is just you're asking him to do too much. And at some point, you got to wonder, when does Jose, you know, start to feel the weight of how much he's carrying this offense? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you're going to find out. You're going to find out because he's going to have – every batter gets cold at some point in the season. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of how long. But during that time that we see Jose like really cool off and have like a, a little bit of a dry spell, we're gonna find out like because I don't know that we can win games right now without him at least being what you know what you expect his averages to be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he he's really carrying the offense. It, he is, and and to to answer your question, when when will we see him feel the pressure of needing to do it? Uh, there's a dead giveaway, and it happens. It happens at least once a season. It's when he tries to pull everything. When he yep. tries to pull everything is when he's pressing. Yeah, and what have we been talking about earlier in some of our earlier episodes too? Is like, 
Jose's been hitting dingers to the opposite field. Like mm -hmm. that's something that you just don't see him do all that often, and that's just indicative of of why he's like performing so well right now. He's just he's seeing the ball, he's letting it get into his zone and taking it the other way. And when he's doing that, like he's one of the best hitters in in baseball. Um, and and you're right. Like once we see him starting to pull everything, like that's when it's okay. He's really pressing right now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, good call on that. That that's definitely something to watch for. Uh, when you when you see him start pulling everything, getting pull happy and, and cools off, um, that's when we're we're gonna find out what this team's made of. Because as of now, like we've we've been able to rely on him um, pretty much day in and day out. Yeah. And uh, someone that the uh, Guardians are not going to be able to rely on for a little bit is Aaron Savali, because he landed on the injured list uh, with a glute injury. That sucks. That that really sucks, because Savali, I, I really like Savali, but like here's why mm -hmm. it really sucks. He's coming off his best outing of the season against the Tigers last week. Right, and here we are entering a, a series against the Tigers. Like, you want to put him back out there against these guys, absolutely. Um, so really, really bad timing for him because I, I think he would have – he was probably looking his chops for this series before mm -hmm. he got hurt. Yeah, uh, and, you know, before um, – his last outing was against Detroit, six and a third, didn't allow a one run. One run did score. Mm -hmm. But three hits, three strikeouts, one walk. Conversely, his previous four uh, starts – he allowed a hell of a lot more. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you look at his, he allowed 22 runs in his previous four starts. Yeah, really, really different pitcher his last outing than we had seen so far this year. And so, you know, you, you look at that, but, I mean, luckily, uh, one of those games that he did allow six runs, they did win. Thank you, Oakland, for being Oakland. Yeah, thank you, uh, Oakland, for just existing. Uh, yeah, uh, this is usually a nickname I reserve for the the Raiders when they were Oakland and they were they were bad. But uh, uh, I, I'm going to apply this to the current version of the Athletics. But thank you, Jokeland. Jokeland, I love it. Yeah, I thought you I thought you were going to go Brokeland. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Brokeland also both. works. <laughs> they are both. They are broken and. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, Brokeland, Jokeland, uh, congratulations, A's. That nickname now applies to you. But, yes. <clears throat> we digress. Yeah. Back to another shitty team, the Tigers. Yes. Four-game series starting tonight, Thursday. Uh, we got Cutter Pilkington, who's taking Savale's spot in the lineup, uh, going off against Tariq Skubal. Uh Pilkington has never faced the Tigers before, but... So far, in eight and two-thirds of innings pitched, he's allowed two runs, he's walked four, and struck out 11. And that was yeah. against some really good teams, by the way. Uh, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Giants twice. We've gotten a lot, uh, for, for his limited appearances that we've had from him, we've gotten a lot out of him. Like, I, I've really liked what I've seen from Pilkington. Mm -hmm. uh, his last his last outing was not great as three of his four walks came against Toronto, and the two runs he allowed came also came against Toronto, but they did win that game. They won yeah. four to three. Uh, this matchup though is tough because Scooble is. I mean, he's pitching about as good as you could expect him to. Uh, he's only three and two because the Tigers suck, but he's got a two point two two ERA, one point oh five WHIP, and he has fifty strikeouts already. Um, uh, so you know, it, he's it's a tough matchup for him. 
but uh, nonetheless, a good matchup for Pilkington. These guys really, their numbers line up pretty well if you uh, were to average them out. Yeah, uh, Scooble, uh, we faced him uh, just a handful, uh, more than a handful of times, apparently. Jesus. Uh, he's been pitching longer than I thought he has for only being 25 years old. But uh, 54 uh, at-bats against Scooble. Jose is 5 for 11 with a double and a triple. That's good. I like that. Um, that's about where the good news ends. Uh, that, that Miles Straws 2 for 4 with a walk. That's nice. That is nice. Uh, but here we go. Yu Chang, 2 for 7. Both are doubles. Ernie Clements, 1 for 2. Andres Jimenez, 0 for 2. Austin Hedges, 1 for 5. But who isn't he 1 for 5 against? I was going to say. <laughs> uh, Oscar Mercado, 0 for 2. Owen Miller, 0 for 4. But that was old Owen Miller, not new Owen Miller. So something to yeah, the, consider. The Owen Miller that, no, the Owen Miller that you see this year playing for the Guardians is a totally different player uh, than, than those performances, for sure. Like, he has really came into his own. I, I think that he's... He's he's coming into his prime. You know what I mean? Like he he's really feeling himself. He's hitting the ball well. Like I said, he he has cooled off considerably, but like he's still numbers are really good. Um, for a young guy that that had some struggles early on in his time with the organization, um, he has been one of the brightest stars on this team this year so far. Uh, so yeah, definitely important to note that. It it, it definitely is. I mean, you you look at just uh, <clears throat> I, I think he's going to end up being. Um, a key player for the team moving forward. Like even if he's not like slotted in at a, a, a one spot every single uh-huh. game, even if they used him in a manner like uh, like Ben Zobris used to get used, but like um, yeah, that would be that would be really nice, honestly. Yeah, and, and it's good to at least have uh, to at least have a guy you could put at first base and and that can slug. That's huge too. You know, yeah. like first first base is traditionally a position where you need a guy who can slug, mm-hmm. and right now that's where he's playing a majority of his time. I know he's capable of playing elsewhere, uh, but I, I think it's really valuable having somebody at first base right now that's producing some runs. Uh, you know, compared to you know the likes of Bobby Bradley who we've had before, who was or you uh, you Chang they put him over there before. Just yeah. that, yeah, no, yeah. I I think uh, Miller slotting into some sort of type of kind of super utility role yeah is honestly perfect for him because he's not a star player but he's a useful player and those guys have they have places on teams and he's someone who doesn't appear to be phased by moving moving around the diamond either so I, i think that's important as well yeah he seems like he's a guy that's comfortable at each of the positions that he plays at um whereas some other guys that we've seen them move around have clearly had some you know deficiencies other places on the field um, uh, yeah, I think he's a guy that pretty much is, where, where do you want me today? I'll, I'll go and I'll produce, you know, and that's, there's a, that's a very valuable player to have on your team. And if he's a guy that's a 273 lifetime average for us, like that's phenomenal, you know? Mm-hmm. So just keep doing what you're doing if you're Owen Miller, um, because that's, that's exactly what we need him to be for this team. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, uh, Owen Miller has a much better outing this time around. But, yeah, uh, it'd be nice to see him heat back up. It, it would be. Uh, maybe maybe seeing Scoogle, uh will, will help him out. But uh, going on to, to game number two, uh, it's Shane Bieber against Alex Fado. Um, will we see the real Shane Bieber? 
Uh, I'm hoping so. Uh, Shane Bieber has an excellent track record against uh, the Tigers. Uh, that he does. He has pretty much dominated uh, the Tigers. Uh, 118 at-bats against Bieber. They're slashing 144, 296, 216. That's a 512 oh, OPS. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, Jaber Candelario, 3 for 24. Wow. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, 4 for 18 with a double and a homer. That homer being that opposite field line drive he hit last opening day in Detroit in the snow. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, Willie Castro, 2 for 14. Robbie Grossman's 4 for 13 with a, with a double, so that's okay, but he's been terrible this year. Uh, Jonathan yeah. Scope, 6 for 20 with a du- two doubles and a homer. Yeah, so but good stuff. This is exactly the kind of matchup that you want if you're Beaver and you're trying to eke out a win here. He's only got the one victory on the year. I know that victories, they don't mean all that much to, to pitchers anymore, but you, ultimately you want to win the game when you go out and you start. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that you know going up against an offense like Detroit, uh, Bieber can kind of get back on track, get in the zone. Uh, and, and be the dominant ace that he's been for this for this team for so long uh, within the division against teams like Detroit. Yeah, you know, with with uh, Bieber's history against Detroit, I think he'll be able to get back on track. Um, and I think that's I, I think seeing a familiar opponent, seeing an, an opponent you've shut down before. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he got the loss last time out, but he did strike out ten guys. Uh, yeah, in that yeah. so right. Even in his bad outings, he's still been good. So that's that's good. That's good to see with a with a one and three record. You know that could scare some people, but when you look at his other numbers, like really, he's deserves better. He does. I mean, he's had one bad outing, one, and that was the the seven inning or seven earned run blow up against Toronto. But besides that, he hasn't allowed more than three runs in any of his starts. Besides the Toronto game. Yeah, I mean, if, if Beaver's on the on the mound, if, if you can score four runs, you're pretty much guaranteed a victory, which is awesome. So hopefully the bats show up on this day and he gets some run support. Um, because at the end of the day, this should be one of those games that you circle that you're like, okay, we got to win this game. You know what I mean? Like, you, you got to win with your ace on the mound against a team that's really struggling. Um, so, yeah, I, I fully expect them to uh, to come out uh, guns blazing and, and really aggressive in this matchup with Detroit um, because they got to get a win for for Shane against this lineup. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, looking at Detroit starter Alex uh, Fado, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he's been pretty. He's been pretty uh, pretty impressive so far. Uh, Fiado, yeah. Fiado, my mistake, Fiado. Okay. Uh, I found the pronunciation, but uh, hasn't faced Cleveland before. Or wait, no, he has not. Wait, he has. Hold on. Fiedo versus Cleveland. Let's it see. It says he has. Yeah. The the bat versus pitch stats are not uh, in ESPN, oh, okay. uh, but that doesn't matter. Uh, he allowed uh, two runs and five and a third. Uh, one of them being a home run. In uh, what was one of Cleveland's or the Cleveland's loss on Sunday. So that okay. four to two game, gotcha. he was a starter. Uh, yeah, for some reason that data is not in here, and that's kind of uh, annoying. But anyways, uh, he's been pretty rock solid for the Tigers so far. Not a big strikeout guy. Uh, he did strike out seven A's, but I mean, 
that, that's, that's it's, we, it's we've, we've already covered that <laughs> we've already covered Jokeland Brooklyn uh, if you yeah, want to throw yeah. a, a nickname onto their names we can call them the K's the the Jokeland yeah. K's they struck out the seven times K's. against Fido yeah that makes perfect sense to me that they did that um, but yeah at least five innings pitched in all of his star- uh, recent starts so he's a guy that you know you can expect to go long mm-hmm. um, and yeah hopefully they can get to him early because uh, with Bieber on the bump this is a matchup you expect to win. Yeah, they, they need to they need to get to Mr. Fiado here. Uh, maybe uh, allow more than two runs in a start. That'd be nice. That'd be great. Tremendous. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, moving moving forward into the third game, Saturday. It's an afternoon game. I, I kind of like Saturday afternoon games. I love Saturday afternoon games. 4-10 start. We got McKenzie versus Elvin Rodriguez, who uh, I've never heard of before this. But, yeah. Uh, I mistakenly, I mistakenly thought it was Eduardo Rodriguez, but he's on the IL. I just saw E. Rodriguez on the uh, on the schedule, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, Eduardo. Nope, it's Elvin. You don't expect two E. Rodriguez's to be on the same staff, but here we are. So, yeah, this is another matchup. We mentioned the the Bieber matchup for the game before. You got to win that one. Mm-hmm. Here we have Tristan McKenzie, who's been pitching like the ace of the staff. Uh, going up against a guy who has a 9.39 ERA and a 1.57 WHIP, uh, but he has only pitched seven and two thirds innings, so he not a lot of work this uh, season so far. But with the limited amount we've seen of him this year, he has not been all that great. He has six strikeouts and five walks, not a ratio you want to see. And he gave up two dingers uh, in those seven innings. So yeah, this is one you want to jump on. Uh, Got to win this game as well. Um, this is really a series against the Tigers that I think uh, anything less than three wins out of these four games uh, would be considered a, a failure for this team. Yeah, and uh, and looking at the Tigers against uh, McKenzie, uh, Harold Castro is three for seven with a double. Okay, um, not bad. That, that is their highlight here. Uh, Tucker Barnhart's two for two with a home run. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, 0 for seven. Daz Cameron, 0 for two. Javier Candelaria, 1 for seven. Mm. Uh, Willie Castro, 1 for 9, that 1 being a home run. Robbie Grossman, 0 for 4. Eric Haas, 1 for 2. Jonathan Scope, 1 for 7. Yeah, and like we mentioned earlier, like uh, some of these guys are not the same player uh, that they were uh, in previous years versus the Tigers. Uh, and I think that's true about McKenzie. I think he's having, uh, so far, his best season uh, as a Guardian. Uh, I know he finished last year uh, pitching well, too. Um, but yeah, like we said, he's looked like he's the ace of this staff. Um, so yeah, I expect him to go, go out and, and dominate the Tigers in this game. Uh, I do as well. <clears throat> I do as well. Uh, and, and I, I used the word dominate specifically because he used that in a recent interview and I really thought that was awesome. He's <laughs> like, it's, it's my job to go out there and dominate. And I just thought that was a really like casual way to say something really badass. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. And hopefully he goes out and dominates because Sunday, uh, could get a little messy. We have Zach Plesak on the mound. Yeah, Plesak has made quite a mess of his last few outings. Only one and four on the season, and I think that's a fair representation of <laughs> what his pitching has been. Um, but yeah, another sky-high ERA, 5.4 ERA, uh, 1.43 whip right now. Um, yeah, so not many good things to say about Plesak. Uh, especially when we saw the jams he got himself last game and, and he didn't have much success getting out of them. 
Um, so you hope if uh, he gets into some of similar positions and has some innings where the Tigers get guys on base early, uh, we see him work out of those because that's where we've really seen him struggling with guys on base. Um, so, yeah, I, hopefully we see him improve in that department um, and we could do enough to get the win. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like you said, this is the game in the series that you circle and go, okay, this can get a little messy. We don't really know what to expect from Plesak right now. Yeah, kind of a mixed bag looking at uh, the history for the Tigers hitters against Plesak. Uh, seven of the 14 hits that he's allowed have gone for extra bases. That's four doubles, a triple, and two homers. But um, he has 21 strikeouts and 76 at-bats against them. Like, mm. it, it, you know, Tucker Barnard's 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. Miggy is 2 for 14 with four strikeouts. Wow. Jamer Candelaria, 3 for 13 with three strikeouts. Harold Castro, 1 for 9, three strikeouts. Yeah, uh, Robbie Grossman's two for eight with two doubles. Uh, Willie Castro four for ten with a double and a triple. Eric Haas one for five, two strikeouts. Derek Hill one for two with a strikeout. Jonathan Scope zero for ten with two Ks. Oh wow, that's kind of surprising. Yeah, and so Scope, Scope's their home run leader right now. He's got four dingers uh, at second base for the Tigers. Jesus, the, those those numbers are just so sad to see. I uh, yeah, really sad. Four home runs, one seventy two batting average, and nine RBIs. Yeah, uh, yeah, not not good from Jonathan Scope there. So, no, not at all. But uh, in some possible signs of good luck, uh, the Tigers are sending out Bo Brisky. Yeah, yeah, zero and four on the year, five point zero four ERA. A guy who's uh, pitched very similar to Plesac. Um, hasn't been that good at all. Uh, also has a 1.38 whip. Um, so, yeah, he, he's not been that great in 30 innings of work for the Tigers. Um, 18 Ks, 12 walks, another ratio that's not great. And he's given up the seven home runs, which matches Plesak on the year. Um, so, yeah, uh, not, not great. So, uh, yeah, we're getting the best possible matchup we could get for Plesak here, probably. Uh, we, we really are, honestly, because, I mean, let's let's look here. Um, 18 strikeouts to 17 earned runs allowed. Yeah. That's 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 pathetic, is what that is. Uh, really, really bad. There, there is one common thing I noticed about uh, all four of the Tigers pitchers that, were, that the Guardians are going to face. Mm -hmm. They are not big strikeout guys outside of Tariq Skubal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Brisky, he averages 5.3 per nine. Uh, mm -hmm. Fiado is six. Um, you look and see um, Elvin Rodriguez is at, uh, I just scanned, three, seven. I'm sorry, he's at seven. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's... it's Really, really bad across the board. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so, I, we got to get guys on base. We got to take guys deep into counts. Um I think the fact that these guys aren't strikeout guys plays right into our hand because we are a team that is a contact team. You know, we don't have guys that strike out a ton. Um, we're we're going to hit for contact. We're going to see a lot of pitches. Um, so I think with that approach against this Tigers team, like we can get their starters into trouble early and get them out in three, you know, three and two thirds, four and a third innings. Um, I think that's the key to beating this team because once you get – you know, once you get past some of these starting pitchers, it's like it, not much good follows uh, on that pitching staff as well. So, uh, yeah, I think um, getting to them early, getting on base early, uh, this is a team that we could really jump all over and score some runs against. 
and, and yeah, you're, you're right with that. And I, I think that can happen this weekend. Uh, I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, they've been kind of meh at the plate, to be honest. Yeah, I think this is going to be a Babbitt weekend. It, it's going to be what the the balls that we are putting in play because we just said they're pitchers. They like to put balls in play. That's how they pitch. They don't. They're not striking guys out. So you know those balls that we put in play. What percentage of those are we getting on base for? You know, if we get some bad luck in that department, uh, we could struggle um, because, like we said, they're they're guys that pitch to contact. You know, they want to keep it low in the zone and and get you to ground out or. Uh, a couple of the pitchers, you know, like to get fly balls as well on their staff. Um, but yeah, that, that's what you got to take advantage of in a series like this. So, mm-hmm. and I, I think I think they can. Uh, I'm hoping for a three of four. Would love for a sweep, but give me three of four. Three Worst of case four. scenario, split, but give me three of four. Yeah, I, I think a split would be that. Yeah, I'd be okay with the split, but this is a team really that we should try to win the series against every time out. I mean, anytime you face a division opponent, the goal should be to win the series. Um, but in a four-game series, that's a little bit different, you know, because mm-hmm. you can uh, have the tie. But yeah, I, I think I think we come away with three out of four in this series, and we get back on track and start getting closer to that 500 mark. We're four games under 500 right now. Uh, if we can win three or four, you know, that puts us right there. So hopefully we have a good uh, good weekend against Detroit. Um, but we shall see uh, because we haven't been great at the plate recently. We have not. But we'll see what happens. So uh, as always, we are nearing the end of this podcast episode, which means it's time for trivia. Let's go. So I believe I asked you the question first last <laughs> time, so... I will let you ask your question first this time. Okay, so for qualifying players, meaning they played a complete season, mm-hmm. uh, a, major- a majority of 162 games, who has the lowest single season, or I'm sorry, the lowest career batting average? Hold on, is this batting average? I'm sorry, who had the worst season for batting average in MLB history? So not not over the course of a career, but just one year. Who had the worst year of a player that played the entire season? Chris Davis. You nailed it. <laughs> I, I I knew Chris Davis would be in your mind, but I didn't know if you would immediately go there for the worst ever. Because <clears throat> uh, there have been a lot of guys that have came close. You had Dan Ugla. Uh, oh. Chris Davis had a 168 average in 2018. Uh, in 2013, Dan Ugla had a 179, so marginally better. Uh, Rob Deere in 91 of the Tigers with a 179. Um, then the other bad years are more uh, 1903-1902 uh, Indians players, ironically. Uh, John Gotchnauer. But yeah, worst season ever batting average-wise, 2018, Chris Davis. Uh, so sorry, I, I didn't think that was going to be a slam dunk for you, but apparently it was. Yeah, I, I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2018. It was not 20. Maybe it was 2019, where he, he had this really long stretch where he didn't get a hit. He had a 1-for-37 slump before being shut down at the end of the year in 2018. Um, I don't know if maybe that's what you were referring to. It could be. Uh, 2019, I'm looking March 28th to April 12th. He didn't get a hit. Oh, my God. <laughs> um. 
I'm trying to see how many at-bats that was. Uh, 14, 17, 19, 23, 28, 29, yeah. 32, 33 at-bats across... 12 games without a hit to start the year. Good Lord. And for those of you at home that like to follow along with the trivia, just to let you know, the qualifying metric for this list was 502 plate appearances. So if you have enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title, 502, uh, then you qualified for this list. And yeah, Chris Davis leads the way by a whole 11 points. So yeah, 2018 Chris Davis all-time shit year. Yeah, that Chris Davis contract ended up aging terribly for the Orioles. They were just basically playing him because they are paying him. Yep. Um, but it, it was it was bad. Um, he was a guy that hit monster dongs from time to time, and he was one of those guys that you would think, okay, can he be a 200-strikeout guy but get 30 home runs? Uh, he did not end up being that type of player. He ended up being a player that just whiffs uh, and doesn't do much of anything for that matter. Uh, only 16 home runs in 128 games that year. So, yeah, not any production coming from Chris Davis uh, for the Orioles in 2018. Yeah, uh, 2017 seemed to be really the beginning of the end for Chris Davis. I mean, he still had 26 bombs, but, I mean, mm-hmm. it, his batting average was, was 215, which was which was bad, obviously. But, but over the Mendoza line, it's over the Mendoza line. But you 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 see you saw the production drop off, and when you see that, and the strikeouts are still as high as they were, 195 in 128 games. It's like okay, yeah. this is a problem because the year mm-hmm. before he hit just 221, struck out 219 times, leading the league. By the way, um, uh, oh all of all of baseball. Correction, not just the league, all of baseball. Um, but he had 38 bombs and had 84. Uh, RBI the year before two uh, eight strikeouts also led all of baseball, but forty seven home runs that led all of baseball one hundred and seventeen RBI. Yeah, and for the uh, most of our listeners are baseball savants, they know what WAR is. Yeah. Um, the, to give you an idea of how bad that season was, they had him at a minus two point eight WAR. Um, it was one of the thirteen worst all around seasons in baseball history, according to the WAR metric. Um, it says he threatened the record. Uh, I guess I'm going to scratch this off the trivia list here. Uh, the record for negative war was set by Jerry Royster in 1977. He had a minus four war for the Braves. Uh, that would be the worst single season war. Uh, but Chris Davis at a minus 2.8 was flirting with it. Oof. Bad. Uh, yeah. It, it, he wasn't necessarily all that good in the field i'll say um yeah he didn't he didn't compensate for his deficiencies at the plate uh like a guy like an austin hedges who's known for being a better defensive player certainly not this year but guys there are guys in the league that you live with being bad at the plate because they're good defenders he yeah. was not that uh, eric hosmer is a guy that comes to mind honestly sure yeah it, it, that's a great example he's a guy who i know that like he started off this season on fire but like we know where Eric Hosmer is going to settle in. His, his batting average is going to drop fifty to sixty points, okay, yeah. uh, and his production's not going to keep up with uh, where it is even currently. By the way, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But Hosmer's good defensively, and I think I think th- that makes up for guys, especially if they're completely uh, slumping at the plate. 
But it's like, yeah, hey, absolutely. still good in the field, still can count on his defense. Yeah, and I mean, in Major League Baseball, the guys are all so good. Like, errors are so few and far between that, that you, you kind of take advantage of it. You mm-hmm. take advantage of defense and how important it is. When you have a bad defensive team, it really makes you appreciate uh, how important it is for a guy to be good in the field. Um, and and that's, that's why with a guy like Hosmer, you live with it, you know, mm-hmm. because you, he's very dependable and you know what you're going to get. And sometimes in baseball, the best thing that you could say when you have a bad team is at least we know what we're going to get with this guy. And that's, that's a good quality to have. Um, and if you're going to be a guy that strikes out 200 times a year and, and only hits 14 to 16 home runs, uh, you better be able to do that. Yeah, that that's a that's a, a good way to, to put it. So, uh, trivia question for you. Let's go. All right, this one's tough. Okay, I'm I'm letting you know this one's tough. Okay. Who was the only player in Major League Baseball history to lead the league in doubles with three different teams? Oh, to lead the league in doubles. Mm-hmm. With okay, three you, you, different teams. You mentioned this is a an expert level trivia question, so do I get a hint? Uh yes. Uh it happened over a hundred years ago. Oh shit. Over a hundred <laughs> years ago, so uh, before twenty two, okay. Three do- led the league in doubles for three different teams. Who moved around that much early? Because back then people didn't move around all that much either. Mm-mm. Uh, uh, let's see. Was it Shoeless Joe Jackson? It was not Shoeless Joe Jackson. Okay. I knew he played for a couple teams back then. Mmm. Doubles, 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 doubles. Was it Babe Ruth? It was not Babe Ruth. He only played for two teams, too, didn't he? Uh, I think he played for some other team. I thought he retired. Like he did the Yankees, the Red Sox, obviously. But I thought he played a third for a third team. Okay, uh, he so, played for the Boston Braves. So he did play for three teams, but the uh, Boston Braves at age forty, he was not leading the league in doubles. In okay, fact, he had so, no doubles that year. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, he was more of a hot dogs guy. Either he was hitting it over the fence or he wasn't really running far. Um, <laughs> uh, my last guess, and then I'll spare the listeners of having to listen to me uh, shit all over this trivia question. Um, da, 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 da. I'm thinking this might be a trick question, like it was a pitcher or something. Was it like Cy Young? Was he a really good hitter and I just don't know it? No, it was not Cy Young. Um, okay, I, I give up then. Okay. Joe Jackson was my best guess. I thought that that was a, a good one, but all right. So here's the answer. It is Nap Lajway. No. Yeah. Okay. Damn it. I <laughs> I should have just named Cleveland guys from that era because I those are really like some of the only baseball names I can go of off the top of my head from that era. Yeah, like I I almost said Ray Chapman <laughs> just because I know his name and it, yeah, I've seen his plaque in Legends Park. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a good one. So, what were the three teams? Do you have that? Yes, I do. Uh, in 1898, with the Philadelphia Phillies. He had 43 doubles to lead the league. In 1901, with the Philadelphia Athletics, 48 
doubles. 1904, Cleveland Indians, 49 doubles. 1906, Cleveland Indians, 48 doubles. 1910, Cleveland Indians, 51 doubles. The dude was a doubles machine. Nap, Le, how do you pronounce it? Is I always thought it was Lajoie. It's uh, Lajoie. Lajoie. Okay. Yeah, Nap I had Lajoie. to. I had to. Uh, I had to Google it to figure out the uh, actual pronunciation for Mister Lajoie. Yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, James. What? But wasn't the Cleveland Naps being kicked around as a uh, new name for Cleveland? Yeah, to to revive the name for the team when he played. So uh, actually, it wasn't the Indians. It was the Cleveland Naps. Uh, right, because uh, so correction so, there, but uh, well, there you go. That's that's a good tie-in, though. So now yeah. people know that that that's why the name was being considered changed back to that because he was a absolute doubles machine and a legend. So good to know. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the uh, the question that inspired the doubles trivia question was a question that appeared on the uh, the Starkville podcast. I don't know if you listened. Very very entertaining podcast with Jason Stark. And Doug Glanville, uh, the Athletic Baseball uh, Podcast Network or show or whatever they refer to. What it. was the original question? The original question was from uh, a listener during their trivia segment, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim. This is from uh, Paul Moringer, uh, P Moringer on Twitter. Uh, this is his tweet verbatim for this. Uh, a doubles machine, Albert Pujols is one of only five players in MLB history with at least three seasons of fifty or more doubles. Who are the other four? Three of them are in the Hall of Fame. That's your hint. Oh, wow. That's a good question. That, that was a written question by a fan or a listener. That's, mm-hmm. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah, here's another hint for you. The, the non-Hall of Famer uh, played in the past 20 years. But the other three who are Hall of Famers, the last season they played, uh, let's see was like 50 plus years ago so non-hall is it Pujols? he's obviously not a hall of famer yet but he doesn't he doesn't it's excluding Pujols from oh, that conversation oh, excluding Pujols. who else has been a doubles machine that's traveled around the league it, is it like manny ramirez or something it, it doesn't have to do with 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 teams just leading the league oh, uh, oh just multiple oh, seasons multiple, I, multiple okay. seasons with 50 doubles that's all it is that, uh, okay, so it wasn't it, that. That was your twist on the question. Yeah, my twist was leading the league in three different times. This is just fifty I doubles, gotcha. three or more seasons. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the 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 I guess modern or not modern era answers here. Uh, that's Tris Speaker with five seasons. Paul okay. Wainer, three seasons. Uh, he played like ninety years ago. Uh-huh. So did Tris Speaker, uh, for for that for that matter. Uh, Stan Musial uh, also Stan had Musial, three. Okay, uh, that but makes sense. The modern day player, Jose Ramirez. It's not Jose Ramirez. the The last time this player did it was in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Jim Tomey. It is not Jim Tomey. I know he had a lot of doubles back. Like when he got older, he was a doubles guy. Um. I don't know. This, this player tough. last played in 2014 for the New York Yankees after playing the previous 13 years with the Baltimore Orioles. Miguel Tejada. It is not Miguel Tejada. It is Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts? Wow. Wow. I did not expect that. Brian Roberts had multiple 50 double seasons. He had three. 56 in 2009, which led all of baseball. 51 in 08. And 50 in 2004, which led the American League. 
Wow, what was his lifetime like batting average or slash line if you have it up? Uh, I do. It's uh, 276, 347, 409. Wow. 367 that's doubles to 97 home runs in his career. That's pretty impressive. Like, really impressive doubles numbers for that. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's not going to be a Hall of Famer anytime soon either, so I expect that stat to remain. Uh, yeah, I do as well. Uh, 50 stolen bases for Brian Roberts in 07, and 40 in 08. Wow. Yeah, so he had speed, so that makes sense. So shout out Brian Roberts. Yeah. Uh, now I'm just curious because I stumbled on that stolen base thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Comparison of anyone. Rem- no, he did not steal that many bases. Okay. Apparently Jose Altuve stole 56 bases in 2014. Um, no shit. Yeah. That's a lot. Because I was going to try and uh, compare... Uh, Brian Roberts stolen base numbers to the leaders, but apparently there was some prolific base stealing going on, and uh, not even prolif- not even prolific, but prolific by comparison. Because oh yeah, uh, I, the I, modern I, age, yeah. I I don't foresee uh, you know uh, someone stealing sixty bases again anytime soon. Uh, last player oh. to do that was uh, D Strange Gordon with the Marlins in twenty seventeen. That's right, D. Gordon. Shout out. Last play. Oh, I'll, I'll give you one last trivia question, then we'll uh, then we'll wrap this up and get out of here. Who's the last player to steal seventy bases in a season? Seventy. Was it Ichiro? It was not Ichiro. I don't know if Ichiro ever stole seventy. Um, no, he never did. It... Was it like Kenny Lofton? It was not Kenny Lofton. It was more <laughs> recent than Kenny Lofton. I'll give it the year. How's that sound? Uh, 2009. Sure. 2009. Shit. Uh, I, I can't even think of any people flying around in 2009. I don't know. Jacoby Ellsbury stole 70 for the Red Sox in 09. That's kind of incredible. I did not think he ever reached that high. Jacoby Ellsbury. Wow. Yeah. How many? Let's see how many career stolen bases Jacoby had. Jacoby Ellsbury. He racked them up a lot with the Red Sox. Not so much with the Yankees. He was. Yeah, he had 343 career stolen bases in 11 years. So he averaged 34.3 stolen bases a season. That's pretty pretty damn good for the modern era. It's pretty impressive, and especially you consider he had nine in 07 and seven in 2010 when he was limited to just 18 games, and 14 in 2012 when he played just under half a season. Kind of yeah. more impressive. Yeah, a lot more impressive. Yeah, multiple 50 uh, stolen base seasons, and like you said, 2009, 70 stolen bases. Wow, that's incredible. He had a great year that year. 301 batting average, 770 OPS. So Apparently his, his, his contract with the Yankees is considered to be one of the worst in team history. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. A seven-year, $153 million deal for Jesus. Mr. Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, he played just four seasons. <laughs> Terrible. With the team. Uh, that... When you, a lot of those signings where you go from Boston to New York don't work out as well as uh, you think they do. It's the rare occasion that that happens, honestly. Yeah, it really is. It does seem like a rarity. And, and 
Yeah, there's a reason it doesn't happen often. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That 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 seems to be why. Like it's it's a trend. So yeah, like Clemens, Damon, sure, like those those were good, like acquisitions or whatever. But like, remember when Kevin Euclid played for the Yankees? That was weird. Yeah, like it, they're both great baseball cultures, but they're both drastically different baseball cultures, and I think that's why. Some guys thrive in New York that don't thrive in Boston, and vice versa. If that makes sense, like they, that does. Although, they're both legendary, you know, traditional teams, but like they have very different vibes, uh, from coaching to the way they build their rosters to the style of play. Like Boston and New York, very very different. So, mm-hmm. just because you have success in one, it does not guarantee that you'll be successful uh, in the other. It, that's that's a good way to put it. And with that, just a quick reminder, everybody, like, comment, share, subscribe, tell your friends and family. If you don't, it's stealing. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and this is BelieveOne.com. Thank you for listening, and of course, go Guardians. Go Guardians. Go Guardians.